This podcast is brought to you by the Physiological Society. Ever considered seeking out a mentor to help you navigate your next career goal? Perhaps you're not entirely sure how mentorship could benefit you. Maybe you're already working with a mentor but don't feel like you're getting much out of the relationship. We'll be discussing all this and more in this episode of Let's Get Physiological. We hear from Dr. Mark Dallas, a member of the Physiological Society and Associate Professor in Cellular Neuroscience at the University of Reading, about his experience of being both a mentee and a mentor, and the extraordinary story of Reggie Nelson, an author, puppet speaker and podcaster who says meeting his mentor changed the entire course of his life. So Mark, throughout your academic career as a neuroscientist, you've had experience of both being a mentee and a mentor. Let's start by talking about having a mentor, because I'm guessing that this came first, probably much earlier in your career. So first of all, how did you go about seeking out a mentor? Yes, I guess that's the first thing to be aware of is, yeah, I started out as a mentee and then maybe later on we'll talk about being a mentor. But I guess seeking a mentor in terms of when it occurred, it probably occurred in my PhD studies. And I don't necessarily know I went about seeking one. I think it was more by accident that I kind of fell into kind of partnership or relationship with an experienced academic that supported me through that. So I don't necessarily think I was looking for one, but certainly after a few informal discussions about my PhD, about where I wanted to, to go in, in my career, that started to develop that kind of partnership uh, and then some sage advice and something really that was outside that kind of supervisory framework. So you've obviously got your kind of immediate supervisors who people might think of as mentors, but they weren't necessarily people you could have those kind of informal chats with and could provide maybe some more kind of sage advice about actually going beyond your PhD and maybe some short-term and long-term goals. So I don't think I went seeking, but I certainly found someone who was able to support me through those early kind of PhD studies and then on to my sort of postdoctoral researcher years. Yeah, because you say, you know, you didn't necessarily seek a mentor. And I feel like sometimes getting a mentor can, you know, be a little bit of a, almost a buzzword, you know, get a mentor. But I think it's a process of finding out, you know, is a mentor appropriate for me? Is it going to help me achieve my goals? So how did working with somebody more experience in you help you achieve your goals and progress in your career yeah I think you could hit the nail on the head there and say that you have to decide on well it's the right time for you to have a kind of mentor and what you want out of that and that's maybe we'll go on to talk about some of those uh, topics later I think the opportunity to to get that kind of sage advice someone who's been and lived that experience of a PhD they might be follower up, they might be professors, or they might be higher up in the kind of hierarchy of the university or academia, but they've been through that. They've lived that experience of your, your PhD, postdoc. They've gone through the kind of decisions that you've had to make, whether you want to stay at the same university, whether you want to plod on in postdoctoral research, or whether you want to look outside of academia. They've gone through those kind of questions. And it was just necessarily having a chance to bounce some of those questions off people, get their advice understand what took them on their career journey and whether that fitted in with my kind of career goals as well. And do you think it was essential that, you know, it wasn't your PI? Because, you know, sometimes people have very good experiences where they have obviously a working relationship with their PI and in some cases have provided some sort of mentoring. But in your case, and in a lot of cases in academia, you think it's essential that the PI is removed from that situation. And actually, it's essential to have that kind of independent 
person that's not directly involved with your career but has the kind of experience and outside perspective I guess yeah yeah for sure I mean I think there's maybe a conflict of interest there in terms of your immediate supervisor and they'll probably want to get you to turn over every stone in the lab to make sure that it's data 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 they're maybe not necessarily looking for your kind of long-term goals and understanding that you might have career aspirations outside of academia they're wanting to get you through your PhD and get that data to support their overall arching research portfolio and they might not necessarily have you at the forefront of their mind they might be planning other grants they might be time taken away for other things so having someone outside that immediate field that you can have an honest discussion about things aren't working in the lab or things aren't working in your personal life Maybe you don't feel necessarily confident going and having that kind of honest discussion with your PI. So having a kind of mentor or someone outside that immediate bubble gives you that opportunity to just sort of sound them out, have those kind of conversations, and then maybe go back and then have a a conversation with your PI that's much more informed because you know the kind of questions they're likely to come back with or you know some of the questions that you've had to address as part of that kind of mentor relationship there's expectations that you have to kind of set and and that really defines kind of short-term and long-term goals in terms of when you're doing your PhD and you're very early on in your kind of research career and even undergraduate kind of uh, students as well you're really thinking about just getting through that immediate hurdle of getting the degree getting your PhD finished you're maybe not thinking about follow down the line you're not maybe not thinking about right where's the best university to go where's the best industry how do I make those connections to industry I guess a lot of kind of academics feel that PhDs should retain and stay in academia and they think they've invested a lot of time in their kind of skills and knowledge and that's best placed in academia so you might find that your PI isn't necessarily trying to steer you there where that might not be best suited for you you might feel that actually you want to go out into kind of industry and having a mentor and again, they might have a network of friends. And I guess that's where the physiological society comes in. They've got a network of contacts that might be an industry, might be other spheres of career or employment opportunities that you can access. So I guess that's another kind of area that you can use that kind of mentor-mentee relationship for is maybe opening doors to coin sort of Reggie's book. I think that's what it's called and take that forward. Yeah, I think it's almost like a add a bonus or in some cases it, that could be the goal of the mentor relationship to open you up to new networks, I guess. And so Reggie, I think it's fair to say that your pathway to finding a mentor was a little bit different to most. So can you just tell us a little bit about how you went about finding your mentor? So for me, it stemmed from playing football initially. So to take it all the way back, I played football at youth professional level and then youth semi-professional level and I was traveling up and down the country playing football. I signed a two-year contract when I was 16 years old to play play and study full-time but halfway through my contracts I decided that I didn't want to play football anymore because of a particular event that happened in my personal life so my father passed away. So for context I, I grew up with two alcoholic parents. My mom and dad were both heavily addicted to alcohol you know, growing up, there was a lot of words at war at home and a lot of feuds at home. And being at home wasn't the sort of most conducive environment. So I was always outside and spending so much time outside. You're exposed to things like football, which are great, but you're also exposed to the negative things that are happening on your estate. And you know, I was very easily influenced when I was younger. So I, I got involved in some of the, the wrong things that were happening on my estate as well. And I almost used football as a mechanism and as a segue to prevent me from going down the route that a lot of my friends that I grew up with went down. 
So when I was playing football and I played at the level I did, I stopped playing at 17 because of the event that happened in my, in my personal life. That's when I was almost at a crossroad because when playing football at the level that I was sort of playing at, it's, it's almost like all eggs in one basket. Either you play football and your, your goal is to become a professional footballer or you, you pursue something else. And I wanted to almost hedge my, my risks. I knew that I wanted to become a sort of provider for my, my household and for my mom. And, you know, we didn't grow up with much. So I wanted to be that sort of reference point financially and just be a supporter for my family household and stuff. And that's when I decided to go on a quest and find out how wealthy people amassed wealth. That was the question that was in my mind. And in my head, it was like, there must be a correlating theme here. If you're amassing wealth and being successful, then Surely if I went out and asked people how they did it, then I'll be able to extrapolate that and use it for myself. So that's what I did. I typed in Google wealthy areas in London and I jumped on a train to Kensington and Chelsea and started asking random people in the streets what skills they had to amass wealth. That didn't really reap the rewards that I wanted. So then I decided to go and knock on people's doors. And at this point, all I wanted was traction and I wanted answers and I wanted people to talk to me and help me understand what I needed to do if I wanted to build wealth for myself and, and and create a trajectory that was very different to the one that I was exposed to when I was younger. And in the sort of door knocking quest, I knocked on the door of the then, he was a senior executive of the largest asset management company in the world called BlackRock. Um, his name was Quinton Price. His wife actually opened the door initially, invited me into her home. And then Quinton walked in not long after. And um, that was the birth of the of the relationship because after that, Quinton invited me to BlackRock to have an insight day. That insight day opened the world for me to, to pursue a career in finance. And then that's when everything sort of rippled from there. I went to university, graduated. I found a, a, a job um, working in finance. My story got picked up by BBC. And that's when everything just sort of spiraled and, and blew up from there. And I went from working in a day to working on a project with the former prime minister in, in the afternoon. So it was very contrasting. But I think the, the mental-mental relationship started from that moment that I knocked on Quinton's door. Well, well, I mean, I think some people will find just sending an email to someone they haven't met before would be a scary thing, but knocking on someone's door is quite bold, but it clearly paid off. And I guess that began your journey of, you know, exploratory journey of kind of finding out what was next for you. And, you know, you say in your book, Opening Doors, that daring to ask for help change your life and clearly as you kind of took us through there it clearly had, had changed your life at that point it was a crossroads and you took the path that you were destined to go down I guess so to sum up why do you think mentorship is so important because I guess you probably didn't realize at that point that that it was going to be a mentorship relationship I guess you were kind of looking for answers but not formalized into what we now call mentorship like I didn't have major role models when I was growing up right my role models were the gangsters on my estate. They were the people that we looked up to because they put their arms around us and they had the things that we aspired to have. They had the latest trainers and they had the attention and they gave you that sense of belonging. And when you're that young, you don't really know that you're longing for it until you get older and you realize. So I didn't really have the most positive role models growing up. And when I went on my journey, I was playing football and I knocked on doors and I met Quinton. That was the first time that I'd been exposed to anything outside of football, music or crime. In my environment, it's you become a footballer or if that doesn't work, you become a musician or if that doesn't work, then unfortunately a lot of people go down the route of, of crime. And 
football was the avenue for me. That didn't work. So then I almost exploited all my options because I wasn't going to do football and I wasn't going to become a criminal. So when I met Quinton, he gave me that visibility into the world of finance. And that was crucial for me because it was the first time that I saw that there was something else outside of what I thought was my media sort of touch points. Even when I was transitioning into finance, I didn't know the first thing about equities or fixed income or the financial sector or anything like that. But Quinton had a lot of grace and he had a lot of patience. And when I finished my week-long work experience at, at BlackRock, which Quinton fortunately allowed me to do, I had a meeting with Quinton and my mum and myself in this room, and he encouraged me to go to university. And even when I went to university, I, I remember my first exam, I scored 25%, which is a fail. I completely flunked it. And I was going to leave university because I just thought it wasn't for me. I'm studying economics and I don't really want to study this thing. But I remember a conversation with Quinton and it was just that encouragement that he gave me. And at that point, it was almost a mentor-mentor relationship. And he was just providing me with sound counsel, with a listening ear and just great advice and providing me with guidance in how to overcome those hurdles that I was facing. And the exam after that, I scored 82% and then I scored 84%. And then I went from getting a 25%, which is a fail, to getting an 82 and 84%, which is uh, a first class. And that's when I found my feet academically and I realized that I can do this. And I know that with the support that I had behind me, I was able to overcome those hurdles. And I ended up finishing university with five internships under my belt. I graduated with a 2-1 and now I work for the largest private equity firm in the world. But at the time I graduated and went to work for like a graduate program at Legal in General. And I started my career and I was, and off I went. And to summarize why I think mentorship is important, I think if I didn't have the likes of Quinton behind me and other people I met along the way, I don't think I will be where I am and in the position that I am today. So a very good picture why somebody should definitely consider getting a mentor if they are needing to soundboard or get advice from somebody about you know their life career anything to be honest you know obviously it's not just not just career it sounds as though in a lot of mentoring situations it, it can kind of try and divide work from outside work life and sometimes the two need to come together sometimes to talk about role models mark i don't know whether you consider yourself a role model but we have talked a little bit about being a mentee so how did you know you're ready to take the next step to become a mentor and do you consider yourself a role model yeah, I don't know if I can answer that question about me being a role model. I guess the decision or the, the kind of point in the journey where you think you can transition from mentee to mentor, I guess there's no kind of single point in your kind of career where you can pinpoint it. I think it started to to kind of grow on me when I kind of moved from kind of PhD into postdoc, both postdoctoral researcher, and then obviously on to kind of a lectureship. And then you start to meet people who are starting their journey in terms of PhD and postdoc and and they are asking the similar questions that you had and just realizing that along the way I kind of banked that experience I'd taken from it good points and bad points and been able to then offer that advice to those that were coming up behind me in terms of their kind of career to try and offset some of the pitfalls that I experienced and maybe show them a different way or expose them to different experiences because I think one of the things that Reggie was talking about, kind of having no experience to that kind of financial world, that's sometime off the way in academia, as I said, it's very much you're caught in that bubble of academia, university life. It's then thinking about opening other doors. What is the experience like out there? So it's not just academia, industry, 
working for kind of uh, financial services, a degree in sciences, as I did, opens up a whole wealth of opportunities to you. You're not, in essence, setting your kind of ball rolling to must progress to academia, must do PhD, must become a PI. And, and that's not a failure if you don't do that. A lot of people see it as kind of a, a lack of success if they don't follow in their supervisor's steps. And I, I think that's a kind of misconception a lot of, a lot of us have. So I think slowly but surely, I, I kind of had the confidence to speak up and kind of share my experiences. And people seemed to listen, which was strange and uh, a strange circumstance, I guess, for that transition to occur. People were starting to listen to what I was saying and, and taking that on board and actually implementing it, going away and doing stuff. So I guess signposting them to resources, allowing them that opportunity to take my advice. And, and then maybe they would come back maybe months later and say, actually, I did what you said. And and actually it opened up a new opportunity for me. Or actually, I did what you said, but actually I looked into it and it wasn't for me, but thanks for kind of signposting those opportunities. And then that's where more development and I guess more firm mentee-mentor relationships develop from. So I think there's that kind of initial touch base and then it's actually figuring out if this is going to be something that's going to last the test of time. As you say, sometimes it's a tick box exercise for us in academia in terms of promotion, in terms of us going up the kind of career ladder, often things you have to sort of show and demonstrate is mentorship. But actually talking about mentorship in that way kind of almost doesn't actually kind of fulfill the role of a mentor in my eyes. It's more actually the unseen stuff that you're doing in terms of, as, as Reggie was saying, championing. So having someone that's got your back in terms of, yeah, if you don't do well on an exam, don't give in, right? I'm still here rooting for you and you can turn this around and make a success of it. I think these are all things that you slowly start to pick up as your career progresses and then gives you the confidence to to kind of then offset some of that advice and see if people are willing to listen. Often in your work or in anyone's work, really, you can be giving different points of advice to different people at different times and then those kind of more informal conversations can turn into more formal relationships, I guess, when you realise, oh, actually, I've got something to offer here or the mentee feels they will be a good fit. Actually, I'd be interested to know, Reggie, if you've also been a mentor or considered to be a mentor. Yeah, I, I am a, a mentor now. So it's almost come full circle. And I wouldn't say, similar to Mark, it's not something that you, I mean, you can formally do it and, and that's fine. But I think these things have just stemmed through relationships and things that I've seen along my journey that I've become passionate about. So I mentor a lot of students from lower socioeconomic backgrounds because that's something that resonated or resonates with me simply because of the background that, that I came from. I also mentor young boys in youth offending prisons because I've seen that when I was growing up, it's almost like once you're in that realm, there's almost no hope for you. And I wanted to almost debunk that and provide some sort of guidance for those that may have taken a wrong turn but are willing to like take themselves back onto the right path. So I do mentor today. It comes in different forms, shapes and sizes. I mentor people that are looking to aspire to come into finance, um, similar to myself. I mentor young ones that are looking to pursue a career in creative arts. With the prison mentorship, you have a range of people that are looking to go into different careers and different sectors. And some people just want someone to understand, similar to Mark, like what he said is that you're there rooting for them. And that they've got someone in their corner that will provide them with that hope, that sense of belonging, I guess. And that's something that I'm trying to provide to to young ones today. Um, and yeah, my 
group of mentees are arranged, but they, they mainly stem from young boys from those two criteria, lower socioeconomic backgrounds and from um, youth offending prisons. I guess I can ask both of you then, uh, first to you, Mark, what lessons you took from your early experiences being a mentee? What did you implement into your role as a mentor? So that could have been maybe, you know, potential positive experience, negative experience. And then how did that kind of shape you as a mentor, do you think? It's really just to let it grow organically. I don't think there's any need to force these things. And, and that's maybe a positive thing that came out of my kind of experience in terms of finding a mentor. I didn't go looking for one, but one arrived and that kind of slowly built. And I don't even know if I would call it a mentee-mentor relationship back then. Looking back on it now, it, it was that kind of relationship that built. That person was someone I would go to and I knew that they were supporting me in the background. So it wasn't anything kind of formal. So I think that's something I, I take on board now. And I guess you get approached by many, very many different people from different backgrounds and different stages in the career. And it, it's just actually one email or one conversation over a cup of coffee. That could be the extent of that kind of relationship. It's just seeing if they want to come back, if they feel that that's a right fit for them and not, not to force it. And if it does go on uh, and start to develop into something that's going to be a bit more long-term, it's thinking about expectations. What is it that that mentee wants? It might be that they want something very short-term in terms of, right, I want to achieve X, I want to achieve a job in the pharmaceutical industry, for example, and you can then work with them and support them to get there. And then that's the the end of that relationship or it might be something more kind of further down the lane, aspirational in terms of right I want to get the Nobel Prize in physiology it's thinking about setting those kind of criteria and those expectations to try and make sure that it works for both parties I think a lot of time there's that, that disconnect between the mentee and the mentor and that kind of upsets the apple cart and then the mentee feels that they're not being supported in a way that they expected, but often they think, or they're expecting a little bit more of that relationship. They're almost wanting someone to hold their hand and walk them through it, rather than that kind of maybe supporting them independently, as Reggie's book, opening the door, but not pushing them through it. They have to take that step. They have to go through that door themselves for their experience and their personality to understand that this is right for me. I think the biggest thing that I learned, I'll start with what I learned from, from Quinton, Quinton at the time, and I guess still is, you know, a very senior exec and very high in the sort of hierarchy of this field that I'm working in. But one thing I realized is that he always had time. And that's something that I was in awe of when I was younger. I, I met Quinton when I was 17, 18 years old, so almost, almost 10 years ago now. And the same amount of time that he gave me then is the same amount of time that he gives me now, irrespective of how busy he is or his schedule. And you know, of course, there are certain times when we're talking or I might reach out to him and, you know, he can't pick up the phone straight away, whatever it might be. But he always made me feel that he was still there, irrespective of his time, his schedule. He gave me that time and gave me that attention and was able to provide me with wise counsel whenever I needed it. And that's something that I've definitely taken on board. So whenever I mentor anyone, I always try to ensure that they understand that I have time for them so that I'm never too busy for them or they never feel like, if I message him, will he reply back or is now a good time to message? And you know, I always say to them, call me whenever you want, text me whenever you want. If I can't answer, then I'll, I'll text you back or I'll call you back, but I will get back to you. And that's one of the things that I've, I've definitely picked up. Another thing is, and this is more so from the mentee side, is proactivity. So 
it's not just a case of having someone in your corner telling you what to do and almost laying the land for you, but you actively going out and getting it. So whenever Quinton gave me advice or gave me some sort of guidance, I would always make sure that I would follow up on it because my intention was to become quote unquote successful. And I had someone that had almost gone on that journey and did what I was trying to do or what I wanted to do at that time. And if he said to me, go to university because that will make you the most competitive candidate, that's exactly what I did. And I, I went to university and although when it started, it was challenging. I didn't want to be there for the most part at the beginning. I knew that if this person is guiding me down this journey, then it will pay its dividends in the future. And, and it has. If he advised me to go for this opportunity, whatever it might be, that was something that I, I did with both hands. Of course, I would take my own decision and it was down to me. But I would always make sure that I was being proactive, taking action on what was being said and not just being a passenger and waiting for people to do what I needed to do. So those are probably one lesson from both sides that I've, I've learned from being a mentor and being a mentee. If you want to learn more about becoming a member of the Physiological Society, head to physio.org slash join. We talked a lot so far about kind of successful mentoring relationships, you know, how often they evolve through informal conversations or I guess not so informal conversation. You're, in your case, Reggie, a literal knock on the door. Mark, I think you'll be the first to admit that the mentoring relationships you've had haven't always worked out. Why have they not worked out in those cases? Part of the kind of career progression that you go through, you kind of have these positive experiences and negative experiences on both sides, I'll have to admit. I think where they kind of fundamentally fall down is those kind of expectations. So when I when I started my lectureship, I was appointed with a mentor that was there to, to support me transitioning into this position, new university, new environment new roles, new kind of working environment to learn, to get up to speed with, and you kind of dropped in at the deep end. So this was another kind of academic that was meant to be there to kind of guide me through and support me. And very quickly on, I kind of learned that that academic had other priorities. So in terms of setting up meetings, set up meetings, they would come. And it was more that I was the mentor. They were offloading on me, telling me about their problems, how in essence, bad life was for them. I just sat there thinking, hang on a minute here, isn't this meant to be the other way around? I'm meant to be the one that's getting sage advice from you, but I'm sat there listening. So again, in that experience, the the mentor was kind of just venting, filling me with kind of woes and worries of, right, what have I done now? This person sounds as if they're having a terrible time in academia, and I've just signed up to embark on this kind of new experience. And so really, I, I kind of ended that kind of relationship and went somewhere else in terms of finding someone else. And that kind of then changed my kind of experience. So I think the mentor has to be the right person. And that comes from that that kind of conversation and that kind of informal chats. But also, sometimes it's from higher up. So leadership kind of people in terms of our kind of universities kind of decide who would be your mentor. So you don't have a necessarily impact on that you're you're given and you're told that this is someone that they think would be good and I don't think that's necessarily right in terms of getting that kind of right fit I think you should have a chance and a say in terms of finding out who's right for you I guess sensing that what that kind of mentee is looking for fresh-faced into academia I didn't want to hear the the woes of life in academia Uh, I'm well versed in them now but at that point I I didn't want to hear them. Having structured mentorship programs is obviously a a great plus because it shows that 
institution takes mentoring seriously. Um, they see the value in it and you can have access to people who are willing to give their time to be a mentor. But I guess there's some sort of a degree of flexibility, I guess, in that process. And also, I guess, confidence and direction from above as to how you would potentially end a relationship or question whether it's the right fit, I guess. And so Reggie, do you have any experience of kind of breaking up with a mentor or uh, any advice for how to kind of end things? I I guess on both sides, really, I guess it's not always the mentee. I guess the mentor could be like, oh, actually, I don't think I'm the right fit here. A lot of the mentor relate or mentor-mentee relations that I've had have fizzled away. And I think it's just because of a natural time lapse. Like things have progressed to a point whereby that person's advice or counsel or backing isn't needed anymore. And sometimes that's a good thing. So for instance, my old institution had um, programs where when you're relatively junior, you can sign up to like have a, have a mentor internally that will help you know the ropes and navigate the industry. And you know, this is your first time in this hyper-competitive environment. So it can be quite daunting. And that person's supposed to almost ease you in and be a sounding board for you. And after a period of time, when you do find your feet and you know roughly what you're doing and you know where things are and you know the expectations that are upon you, whether it be from clients or internally or you know whatever stakeholder that is that you're working closely with, that relationship then naturally probably isn't needed because you you found your feet. And that's the type of relationships that I've been involved in whereby they've kind of fizzled out on both sides. So as me as a mentor and as me as a mentee. So that example I gave was a live example when I started my career and that relationships almost just naturally fizzled out and doesn't mean that it ended on bad terms. It was just, there was no more value or the value had significantly dimmed just because of progression. And also on my side, when you're helping students navigate university, for example, or helping them to find a particular graduate job, let's just say, when they found that graduate job, sometimes that's all they needed. You was there for for a period of time to help them and guide them. And then there's someone else that can pick up the baton and provide value from a different lens and from a different you know, dynamic. So like, I'm I'm not here to say that all relationships should end, but I don't think that they should be forced as well. If they come to a natural close, then, then so be it. But you do get some, and I think Mark touched on this as well, where they do last. And I think that's just them from natural relationships. And that is something that I will synonymize with mentorship. It's it's also building relationships. So with Quinton, like I mentioned, we've I've known him for about 10 years now. And that's because we've built a genuine relationship over the years. And there are some people I met from my very first internship who I'm still in touch with today. And that's because I built a genuine relationship. It wasn't just work and me taking advice and counsel from them but we had different things that we resonated over be it football or music or backgrounds or other things that we were interested in and it just almost snowballed from there so those are the examples i would give that it sort of ended on on my side but i'm not here to say it's a bad thing i'm here to say that if it ends then for the most part it's fine and you move on and someone will probably take the baton from from then on out yeah i think that's something to pick up already is to say that if they do kind of fizzle out, as you say, that, that can be a sign of success. Uh, that can be a sign that actually you've reached the stage that you wanted to get to. I think sometimes the fact that these fizzle out, it, it can sometimes be seen as a frustration you know, like from the mentor side of it. Why, why is this mentee not still in touch? Why is this mentee not wanting my advice anymore? 
Well, it might be that actually they've come to that stage in their career or their progression that actually, put it bluntly, they've got what they wanted from you and that they're ready for yeah for that next mentor-mentee relationship because they're onto that next phase. So, and I think that's something to kind of champion and, and be kind of clear to say that actually you can have multiple mentors as you go through that support you at different aspects. So they can be kind of short-term and they can be long-term. And to echo Reggie's point, I think some of the longer-term ones are where you build up a, a kind of more personal relationship alongside that work relationship you feel comfortable in that person's presence alongside being able to ask them some difficult questions and knowing that they've got that kind of time and they'll give you the the answers that you're needing to support your kind of career progression or thinking about external factors we've sort of briefly touched on this around kind of you know sometimes a mentor can be almost more of a mentor a mentor in paper terms sometimes you know it can have more benefits to other parts of your life than you realize and I guess this question for you Mark about how impactful mentorships have been on your life and career because I guess one thing we haven't really touched on is kind of like the enjoyment and almost pleasure of guiding somebody's life I guess. Certainly I don't think I'd be kind of where I am today if I hadn't had the kind of advice and that kind of someone steering my ship in the right direction and sometimes I was a bit kind of lost at sea questioning what I wanted to do next and why I wanted to do it and just having that kind of guidance to keep on going and pursuing and and someone to actually have that kind of conversation with and say right well I don't know if I want to go on and be a lecturer but someone to say well actually I think you'd be quite good at it I think you'd be very good at kind of opening up some of the in our world, neuroscience, the complexities of the brain to individuals and support their kind of learning at university. So that kind of almost pat on the back, oh, maybe I can do it, really kind of pushed me along to try and seek out my career or my kind of profession in terms of university lecturer and, and progress from that, that side of things. I guess on the flip side, being kind of mentor has really kind of, I think, enriched me to see the satisfaction that I get from seeing kind of individuals grow and learn and go off and make a career out of what they wanted to do and seeing them being happy. I think a lot of times I've seen or been kind of in research groupings with research technicians who are maybe not kind of happy. They're maybe just kind of in between jobs, shall we say, and they're looking for something else and being able to kind of mentor them and see them go off and then start to develop a career of their own, whether that be a PhD whether that be medical writing, whatever it has been, has actually seen, well, actually, I don't think they were very happy doing what they were doing. I think they just kind of fallen into that job. But actually, then they met me and I was able to say, right, actually, if you don't want to do this, don't do it. There's other things out there. You've got the skill set and just giving them the confidence to kind of think about other opportunities, I guess. They kind of fell into that job thinking, right, this is the only thing I can do or I needed a job. But actually, to have a conversation with someone that actually sort of supports them and says, right, here's what you could do. There's plenty of opportunities out there. And that sense of satisfaction really kind of encourages me and also encourages me in terms of the people that are coming up next. So in terms of my progression, there's going to be someone else that's going to come in and do my job in future years. I'm confident that that the kind of supply chain, if you like, is well-groomed and well-fed in terms of being able to kind of keep neuroscience and keep physiology alive and kicking further down the line so that really is kind of satisfaction as, as a mentor yeah it's, I guess it's almost like a family tree you can see like oh that person mentored this person it's kind of like making those connections and common goals between mentees that have been achieved through the larger mentor network and mentors chatting to each other as well about how they're approaching challenges or problems that mentees have presented to them 
So, you know, we have talked a lot about positive experiences and I've certainly been convinced that, you know, potentially I could seek a mentor for, you know, aspects of my career. And I think it's actually hugely inspiring. I think, as I think I mentioned at the top of the podcast around, you know, mentor being kind of a buzzword, you know, like what actually is mentorship? Like how can, I think some people might think, you know, have to very clear defined goal about where your career wants to go. But I think sometimes a mentor can help you do that. So if anyone's not convinced, Reggie, what's your advice to anyone who's listening to this and still thinks, mentorship isn't for me I wouldn't benefit so what would your final message be my my own personal example I guess one thing that I'd like to point out with this is mentorship and this whole relationship dynamic can stem from anywhere and can stem from anyone so if you look at myself and you look at Quinton for example we're almost polar opposites like I'm black he's white I came from working class background he came from a middle upper class background he is older than me i'm probably half ish his age if we are walking down the street it's almost like two polar opposite type of people right but he is someone that i've sought the most wisdom knowledge and counsel from and one thing that i would echo and advise is don't knock the concept of mentorship unless you you've tried it and you've given it a real go and also don't be put off by certain people that my offer to be a mentor or say you're in an institution and there's a parent scheme and you know you, you see someone you're like oh that person doesn't resonate with me or they're not from a similar background to me or they're not a female and I only want a female mentor or they're whatever it might be if I signed up to a mentorship scheme when I was 17 years old and I saw Quinton walk in the room I probably would have said nah that guy's not going to help me right he's not someone I'm looking for but lo and behold he's been probably the most instrumental person in my in my career today so my advice would be to not knock it to try it and to not be sort of one way in thinking in regard to who or what a mentor should look like because they can come in in different forms and for any evidence of mentorship working I think I would use my own example of someone that wasn't on paper deemed academically bright that was probably going down the wrong path didn't have many things going for them bar football to being sort of a published author and working in private equity and mentoring other young people and having a podcast on BBC. And these are all the things that I've been privileged enough to, to do and to have. And that all stemmed from just having wise counsel and mentorship behind me. So, and hopefully my example provides some sort of evidence that it, it works and can work for them as well. A big thanks to our guests, Reggie and Mark. I'm Eleanor Newton. If you enjoyed this episode please rate, review, subscribe and share wherever you listen to your podcasts.